Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey folks, this is Jason Lewis, the producer of the From the Shadows podcast. I just want to remind you about our website, fromtheshadowspodcast.com. We have a Facebook page. We would appreciate it if you like and follow. Also, join our discussion group on Facebook called After the Shadows. We have a Twitter feed. Please follow us on Twitter. It can be found at podcast underscore from... Follow us on Instagram at From the Shadows Podcast. We have a YouTube channel. Go to the search bar on YouTube and put From the Shadows Podcast and please subscribe to that channel. We are also on the Odyssey Radio Network and we can be found there at odyssey1.com. We are still on the traditional podcatchers that everybody loves to listen to us on. We get a lot of feedback, so please rate the podcast and communicate with uh, whether you're on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or Google Podcasts. We're there, and we appreciate it when you leave comments for us. Well, that's all I have for you right now, folks. And thanks for being a part of the From the Shadows podcast family. So with that being said, let's get this episode started. Ladies and gentlemen, here is your host, Shane Grove. Hey everyone, Shane Grove here, and I want to let you guys know that my book series, From the Shadows, is available on Amazon and Amazon Kindle. There are three different books available. There's Volume 1, and Volume 2, Return of the Lizard Man, and then there's a special screenplay edition, which includes both Volume 1 and Volume 2 in screenplay format. So if you're a big fan of Bigfoot, Lizard Men, Conspiracy Theories, The X-Files, and Mysterious Men in Black. I urge you to go and check out these books. And if you like them, you know what? Please leave me a great review. And if you don't like them, I apologize. So anyway, check them out. And if you really want an autographed copy, message me through From the Shadows podcast, and I'll see what I can do. Thanks. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the From the Shadows podcast. I'm your host, Shane Grove, and joining me this lovely day in North Central Ohio is the judge. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. And Jason, the sort of super producer. (laughs) Greetings, everybody. (laughs) And, uh, you know, we come, you know, like I said, from North Central Ohio, and so we're super excited to have our guest uh, today, uh, world-renowned. I would say world renowned. world renowned. 
Yes. Yeah, I would say so. World renowned. Uh, how would we describe him? Crypto filmmaker deluxe. Yikes. Yikes. Uh, sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> hey, listen, I can't say expert because the last time I put expert about Stacy Brown on Facebook, I got hammered because of it, even though the judge decreed that in the illegal definition of the term right. expert, he was an expert. Yeah, the, right. the, the rules of evidence, whether it's the federal rules or the, or the state of Ohio rules of evidence, is someone that has... Um, knowledge that goes beyond the average person based upon their education, training, or experience. So, so based on that, I firmly declare Seth Breedlove our guest and expert in crypto movie making, documentary making, filmology. So, welcome, welcome, Seth, to the show. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. It was the deluxe more than anything. The deluxe made it sound like I was being served up at a McDonald's or something. <laughs> we kind of think of more like a car wash. Well, you know, if you could compete with the McRib, we might roll you out at a McDonald's. But I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> so, Seth, super excited to have you on. Um, I've had the uh, I've had the opportunity on Amazon Prime to watch several of your documentaries, and. Um, and I really encourage, and we'll, we'll go through your catalog a little bit later on, people to go out and watch some really cool Ohio stories, some West Virginia stories. But, you know, a lot of our listeners are from Ohio, and, you know, there are probably people out there that are unaware of some of the Ohio cryptids that are out there. And uh, mm. so you want to share with us today some of the Ohio cryptids that you've looked into, that you've researched, that maybe are, you know, look, I mean, everybody's heard of Sasquatch, but there's, you know, there's some things or, out there. That or how, how did a young man on the edge of Amish country get, that grew up on the edge of <laughs> get, get, you know, get into the whole cryptid thing and, and want to become a filmmaker? How did you, how, you know, what was the genesis of that? Yeah, my grandpa, my grandpa Schrock was actually Amish. So he, he grew up in Hartville as like part part of the Amish world. I know some Schrocks. Uh, and I, I can know remember, some Schrocks. Yeah. I can remember uh, like family reunions. You know, the Amish, they won't fight back. So me and my cousins would pick fights with the, uh, our Amish cousins and like throw a watermelon at them and stuff. It's great. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> totally unrelated to that. Let's the, go down that yeah, avenue I, I got, of the Amish not fighting back. What's that? Let's go down the avenue. I think of the we Amish. should say that for a Patreon page. <laughs> That's <laughs> okay. Um, so, so you took advantage of the Amish's kindness. Okay, we got that off the list. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, no, I yeah, I grew up. Uh, I grew up in Bolivar, Ohio. Um, so you know, maybe like 20, 25 minutes from uh, from Minerva, which is home of the Minerva monster, which. I mean, in Ohio, Bigfoot lore, there really isn't anything more um, well-known, like like a regionalized monster case, um, than pro- probably than the Minerva monster. Um, so I guess I was like vaguely aware of that story growing up, um, and so that was like one of the things that got me into into all of this when I was originally. Conceptualizing whatever you call it, the idea for small town monsters, it was supposed to be like a book, um, a case book of small town rural monster cases around the United States. And that was spurred on at the time I was 
freelance writing for the Canton Repository and the uh, Maslin Independent as a reporter. Uh, so I took some of that knowledge I was gaining doing that and put it into this idea for a book called Small Town Monsters. And then I pitched it to a bunch of different publishers and they all rejected it. And then a few months later, I uh, met up with these two guys and we um, came up with the idea of making a movie. And that was the we took one of the cases that was in the in the book that I had put together, um, which was the Minerva monster. And then we, you know, turned that into our first film, which was the the Minerva monster movie. Uh, and that came out in 2015 and, uh, it did well enough that it, it allowed us to make more movies. So later that same summer that we re- released, uh, Minerva, we went and filmed beast of Whitehall. And then we all got in a big fight. And uh, they split with the footage for Beast of Whitehall, so I turned around and reshot Beast of Whitehall by myself later that year. And then we released that in 2016, followed by Boggy Creek Monster, and then the rest is is history. But there's no through line for <laughs> there's no like through line for how for how any of this came to be. I don't. Well, there never there I mean, never there never is. I just wondered if you yeah, were the exception because well, you are deluxe. So we thought. Yeah, thought maybe that you had. So something. let me ask you this, Seth. I'll, myself, yeah. one of the reasons why we got into this whole podcast was a was a, a cryptid experience that I had as as a teenager that scared the hell out of me, and that inspired me to you know to go forward. Did you have any experiences as a kid or as an adult that uh, that motivated you to get into this, or is this just something that you just always had a passion about? Yeah, no, and I didn't always have a passion about it. So I have a really boring origin story because I didn't have anything that happened to me personally that like got me into this. I got into it because I was really bored at my day job, which was medical billing. And so like I was sitting in a cubicle all day running, you know, electronic record data processing. And um, it's as boring as it sounds. And like you would just sit there and listen to podcasts and... I had a maybe a passing interest in UFOs that was kind of brought about because of watching the Mothman Prophecies movie in 2002. Um, but again, there's no like clear through line. I got into it, but it wasn't it wasn't insane. I I was listening to the occasional podcast, and then over time, like my interest in it grew and grew, and then I kind of found out about some other stuff near where I had grown up as a kid besides the Minerva monster story. Uh, there was a, I grew up in Bolivar. I don't know if you guys are familiar, but it's, it's, uh, yeah, it sits right off route route 77 and it's, uh, it's a cool community. I mean, it's, it's actually my favorite place on earth, honestly. Um, but I, I became aware through a random series of events that is, too difficult to explain quickly, but basically there was a doctor or a dentist. It was a, she was a dentist and her husband was the DA of like Stark County. They lived down there on a, owned a horse ranch on this road, um, behind Bolivar. And I, um, I heard for some reason she had told someone I knew about the fact that she was seeing Bigfoot on her property and it wasn't just her. It was like her and her children and, all these other people were seeing Bigfoot on their property to the to the extent that she was claiming they could follow Bigfoot on horseback back into their cave, these caves that were back behind their house and all this stuff. And it was really wild to me because she was a very believable witness and so was her husband, obviously. Um, 
So I started driving around down there on the roads that I knew this was going on. Uh, and I, I started talking to locals about what was happening, if they were seeing anything. And I started gathering stories that were, you know, some, some variation of like, we, we've seen a big thing in the woods or, um, you know, they were finding deer ripped in half, stuffed up in trees around the same time that people were claiming to see Bigfoot and all this kind of stuff. And that was like what really got me into investigating or researching, looking into whatever you want to call it, uh, Bigfoot sightings. So when and you first I started that, let me ask you, yeah. Seth, when you first started, you know, somebody once said there's two types of people in this world. There's those who be, who believe in Bigfoot and those who don't. <laughs> when you started this, what camp were you in? Mm. Well, I think initially I was in the the um, probably not, and then I went hardcore into like, oh yeah, it has to be out out there because there's so many people that are claiming to see something. Then I slowly drifted back into stick land, and that's where I was up until 2018. was was fairly skeptical of the whole thing. Um, I've I'm, I've always been open to it, but I I was I had taken a pretty hard left turn into these things can't be real because of various reasons that I had. So that's where I was um, until until 2018 when we went to uh, Oklahoma and into Area X and had something throw rocks and scream at us in the middle of the night. And it wasn't your ex-wife? Oh, that's my ex-wife. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's my ex-wife. So, so you did get to go to Area, Area X. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. So... The evolution, the evolution of 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 your belief system is, you heard accounts, were intrigued by them, did some investigatory work, and said, you know, it doesn't sound like there's enough evidence that these things are real. This is more mass hysteria or misidentification, and so you went towards the I'm really not a believer, and then you had your own personal experience, and then that's what sold you that these things are real. I'm still not sold entirely. I'm like 80% of the way there. Um, whereas I was probably at like 20% of the way there when something, you know, b before anything had happened to me. That's just my nature, I think. Like you, your rational brain sort of overrides your, your, your desire for these things to be real. Well, and to um, point something my... out for our viewers, one of the things I really liked about your, your early documentaries were that you took it, the material, as if you were investigating the material and you were not slanted one way or the other. And the, your very first, you know, the Minerva Monster, when I remember watching that and I remember telling somebody, I said, I really like that because it was a very straightforward, this is, this is what people are reporting. This is, it was none of this slanted one way or the other. And, and I really found that good filmmaking yeah i i think that's the approach we bring to everything i don't really have um i mean we were just asked this yesterday is like some, someone told me that they respond to our work where they don't respond to stuff that's on the history channel or travel channel or whatever and they were wondering why i thought that might be and i just we don't have an agenda in making these i mean things have changed storytelling wise since minerva in that we do recreations now, but end end of the film, there's no, there's no, you know, um, 
there's no end game where we're trying to sway the audience to believe in Mothman or Bigfoot or whatever it is. It's kind of like watch, uh, listen to the eyewitness accounts or the historical accounts, whatever it is, and then make up your own mind about it. Um, because I don't think, I, you know, like most people that are into this stuff, I don't think the the a general audience is is necessarily coming to these stories thinking, oh, this is real. I think they come to it because they think it's a cool, spooky story, you know. And if you can show them what may actually be out there and and what the evidence is and what the witnesses are saying, you know, maybe they'll maybe they'll find it more. Maybe they'll be more open to to the reality of some of this stuff. Because I didn't, you know, that's the path I've taken. So I kind of make movies for myself, I guess. Well, I like the 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 Momo uh, film that you did. There was there were times that when you did the the recreations and said this is what people said happened, but we're mm-hmm. not saying that this is exactly how everything went down. It gives people an understanding that look, everything with folklore, you know, there obviously stories evolve. As you go through the years, things and, and, you know, the story maybe gets embellished or maybe there's facts added to it that wasn't really there. So I really li- I like the, the, the Momo version. I like the recreation. Of course, you had Lyle in there and Cliff. Um, but I yeah, really do Momo, like your storytelling. Momo is as much about, about parodying, <laughs> parodying <laughs> right. uh, you know, 1970s drive-in cinema and and to an extent parodying some of the stuff we've done i mean like it, it mm-hmm. momo in momo the only thing you know 100 percent is that the the interviews are the only true segments of the movie that's the only thing we know for a fact is that what these people are claiming happened is at least what they're claiming happened everything is else is kind of up in the air because the momo story is so muddled at this point in legend it's hard to tell fact from fiction and most of these older regional monster cases that is the case like you can't it it is very difficult to delve into what is fact and what's fiction like leaving out the idea that we don't know if bigfoot's real um you know the, the the minerva case is special because we have documentation uh all the key players um with a few exceptions are still alive. Um, and you can talk to those people and really get into the ins and outs of that case. But most of the cases we've covered since Minerva, you know, the people either aren't willing to talk or there, there isn't any documentation. Minerva's special, man. You gotta, you you get police reports and all that kind of stuff. Well, I, I heard in the first, I really heard an in-depth, uh, tale about the Minerva monster was on another was Ohio Mysteries podcast, and mm-hmm. and I did not realize how big a national or worldwide story that was at the time. And night was like 1978 or something, um, and the people just came from all over. And oh, camped. news trucks showed. Yeah, up. News, I mean, so so news trucks. now that you've had your own experience and you're leaning, you know, eighty percent. When you go back and look at the Minerva stuff, does that does that cement it for you that yeah, probably something something happened? Oh yeah, I, I mean even yeah, there's there's no way you can just write off the Minerva case. Um, there's always the possibility that the Catons were hoaxed, but 
but you would have to be a maniac to go up behind their house uh, in a Bigfoot costume and <laughs> and expect to not get shot. Because at that point, uh, by the time the, the, the incident happened that kind of cast the Minerva story into the public consciousness, that incident involved Bigfoot basically, or Minerva Monster, whatever you want to call it, coming down off the hill and, and walking directly up to the house to the point where it walked up, put its hand on the house and leaned up to, to the window while a large group of people were in the house watching it do this. Um, <laughs> and, and this was, wow. and this was after it had, um, or, or something had killed their dog by basically wringing its neck, a German shepherd. Um, and so if that's a hoax, that's uh, first of all, it's like a professional wrestler in that Bigfoot costume. Uh, and then second of all, it, you'd have to have a death wish because they're all armed. I mean, heck, the the mom, uh, Mrs. Caton, pointed a gun at the thing through the window. Um, so, yeah, I, I've always felt that there's something to that Minerva case. And and when you really get into the lay of the land there, the geography, uh, there there's so much forest uh, stretching all the way into Pennsylvania behind the Caton's house. Um, you know, it's, it's a very believable case. Now I can't definitively state it was a Bigfoot cause it was what 40 years. I can't even remember 40, 50 years ago that that, it, that happened. It reminds um, so me, it's it been rem- a while. The story reminds me a lot of the, uh, the Spotsville monster out of Kentucky where mm-hmm. you, you have a family that's being terrorized by this thing and there's police reports. There's 911 calls. There's there's a there's documented, um, you know, evidence that something was happening. Unless these people just completely well, decided, hey, we're gonna hoax everybody. And, and back then, there was no internet. There was really no way to have any type of pecuniary interest in coming up with a hoax. Unless it was unless you just your goal is to be the centerfold in the Weekly World News. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know, Seth, if you're familiar with the Spotsville monster or not, but but it reminds me, it reminds you the same, is that you, you have eyewitness accounts, you have police reports, you have law enforcement coming up to the house, taking witness statements, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and it's funny because that same... That same year in Ohio, there was a really similar case. It's it's less popular, but it, it was fairly well documented. Police reports uh, and local media. It never went as big as Minerva did, and I think that's just because even in the initial reports about this case, they were writing about the Minerva monster as well. Um, and that is the the story of Big he- Big Head um, over in I want to say it's Ashland. It's Ashland or Mansfield area. Uh, are you guys familiar with that one? <clears throat> We're not familiar with that story. No, I mean, not. Okay. And Mansfield, yeah, yeah, literally, yeah, literally right Jason's down the road. From Mansfield. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is a really fairly well documented case, and it happened about two months uh, removed. It might not have even been two months. It might have been right around the same time frame. I can't remember um, as Minerva. So it's 1978, summer of 1978. Um, is 19, 1978 might have been when the siege, the night siege, happened down in Wayne National Forest too. Uh, which is a really that was a fairly well documented. There's even a book about that, even though it's no longer in print. Um, but yeah, the big head big head case involved a family uh, that lived near some railroad tracks, and they had a similar incident where this creature kept coming up to the house, uh, 
and and even looking in the window and stuff like that they reported it to police and then local papers started you know re- uh, reporting on it and the police came out and investigated at least once and believed there was something to this um we were supposed to make a movie about it uh as our follow-up to minerva we were going to do a, a movie set in ohio that was like an anthology with three different cases and it was going to be uh old orange eyes uh big head and then the um charles mill lake monster which I, again I, I don't if you guys are 20 minutes from mansfield yeah we're familiar, probably with, familiar that with charles yeah. Mill lake. yeah okay yeah um so yeah, Big Head. It's a super cool story. Unfortunately, the dad passed away. The son, who was kind of the primary player in the whole thing, was in a car wreck not too long ago and is um, severely mentally handicapped. Can no longer talk. Oh um, so that story is just gonna pass away. I mean, that story is gonna die. People are gonna kind of forget about that one, and there's not much we can do to really, really report on it. The guy that. The connect, connecting factor between Night Siege, um, Big Head, and Minerva is this guy, Ron Schaffner. And he was an Ohio investigator in the 70s, very skeptical, um, and just super cool investigator, really knew his stuff. I loved his approach. I love his approach. Anytime, you know, we would email back and forth when I was making Minerva because um, he was one of the primary kind of researchers on the Minerva case as well. Um, unfortunately, Ron got out of all of this in the early 2000s and will have nothing to do with any of it. But if you guys can ever find some of his work, some of his newsletters still exist online. I can't remember what they're called. It's like Ohio Creature Corn. There's creatures in the title, but I can't remember what it's called. But yeah, that that Big Head case is really neat. And it, it the newspaper articles are on newspapers.com. I've got a folder somewhere with a bunch of the newspaper articles, really similar to... Minerva. Oh, and then uh, obviously you also have the Missouri Monster right around the same time, which is almost identical to both of those because you've got a big hill behind the house. You've got this creature coming down off the hill. You've got a dead dog. Uh, there's a lot of connecting factors. That I, I, and what what was it about 1978? Were these you know were yeah, they right. were they was it disco? Was it Star Wars? Was it you know what was but the interesting, thing, the interesting thing about that is that you have very similar stories, and, and one would say, well, you know, they're urban legends, and because they have, you know, these stories get passed. But, you know, there was no internet back then. There was no social media. There was no way for people in Missouri nope. to really know too much about the Minerva Monster or to know about Big Head and different Spotsville. And different, I think Spotsville is around the same time. Is, it, is that 70s also? Not, I'm not positive on Spotsville. I, yeah. I'm familiar with that case, but it's not. I don't have knowledge, like a lot yeah. of knowledge of it. I watched a documentary on it, and the the guy is uh, the guy who who lived it as a kid is 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 an adult, and he's been on Monsters and Mysteries and did a documentary on stuff. But you know, the interesting thing going back to one of your films about Momo, I got this. I got this feeling that, and correct me if I'm wrong on this. I got this feeling it was a homage. To the old legend of Boggy Creek movie, which is super cheesy, but intriguing, and one of those great films to go to the drive-in theater and watch. It's a it's a homage to to 
Legend of Boggy Creek. Uh, there's a, there's lines directly from Legend of Boggy Creek in the movie. Um, there's a uh, a line about one of the during the posse sequence. One of the hunters says that something about Charlie Pierce's prize shows, which is obviously a, a homage to the director of the Legend of Boggy Creek. It's also a huge. I mean, we were, I I adore creature from black lake probably more so even than legend of buggy creek so there's a lot of that in there and then the biggest part of it is actually the the old 1970s documentaries so like um uh, mysterious monsters and bigfoot man or beasts bigfoot man beast <laughs> like yeah. all those there's a lot of little moments in there that are that are very like well we shot specific shots to look like shots from those things which is something that almost no one is going to pick up right on. well i found it interesting um, that you had you had lyle blackburn on whose whose passion is the boggy creek monster so that sure yeah 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 for sure i mean it was it was um yeah it's very much a love letter to all that stuff and i didn't grow up with that stuff but i kind of came to love it later mark who co-wrote it with me and jason Mutis, mark matsky he grew up with that stuff so i think a lot of those little nods are probably coming from him more so than Jason or I. It's good film work. Mm-hmm. And and for those of you, like, I watched it when it was still, you know, you paid, I don't know what <laughs> I paid to watch, but I think now a lot of your stuff is now, your catalog is, is free on Amazon Prime. Uh, it was until Amazon mysteriously restricted five of my titles a couple of weeks ago. So now five of them are only available if you pay or pay to purchase or run it. But yeah, there's, I mean, you got, I guess, keep in mind, we've made, um, what, 15 different titles, 14 different titles, 15. I think once Bell Witch comes out is 15. So five of, you know, there's still 10 things floating around out there that are probably free or close to it. Now, so you've done, so let's kind of get into the new one that you have coming out, the uh, the Mothman Legacy. So this is your second mm-hmm. Mothman movie that you've done? Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, we call Terror in the Skies a spiritual sequel to, um, to, to the Mothman of Point Pleasant because it delves into winged cryptids. And this movie stylistically is very much a sequel style-wise to Terror in the Skies more so than Mothman. But store, as a story, it's picking up where the Mothman of Point Pleasant left off. We, That's and, a very convoluted answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and Jason and I actually sat here and watched the trailer before we got on, and Jason was pretty excited. I mean, I, I was excited. I, I sent you a message about how cool it was. Jason was excited. And the cool thing is, is the, um, the guest that we're going to interview after you today M from mm-hmm. she's from Washington DC. I told her, hey, we're talking to she goes, Oh my god, I've already ordered the Mothman Legacy. It's coming it, as soon as it comes out. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. So you so I mean you uh you have some serious diehard fans, obviously you know that, or you wouldn't keep doing yeah. doing these movies. But uh what uh what I have a hard time wrapping my mind around the Mothman. What, yeah, uh, what after really getting into it, like, what what do you kind of feel about the Mothman and the whole story? Well, I think it depends on what story we're talking about, for one thing. Like, the 66, 67 wave, you know, that 
happened in Point Pleasant mm-hmm. is is a very finite story, you know, and, mm-hmm. and there's so much weirdness connected to that story that I set that apart from what we did with this movie. Um, you know, I said stylistically, this is a, a sequel to Terror in the Sky is more so than Mothman, even though the story is a direct sequel to Mothman. Um, part of that is just the fact that this movie is looking at all sorts of strange winged cryptid or creature sightings around Appalachia. Uh, in Appalachia, most of those sightings get lumped under Mothman, regardless of what someone saw. They can see a pterodactyl and they're still going to call it a Mothman in the, you know, in the press or whatever. So, um, is anybody seeing ter- have... is anybody seeing pterodactyls? Like we just... <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Matter of fact, uh, a couple of weeks ago, George Knapp even was talking about that. About the pterodactyl. All right. Yeah. I gotta be honest, I'm more scared of bat squatch. <laughs> How about the dude in the in the jetpack flying around LAX? Did you see that? Yeah, he's playing yeah. with fire. The second, like, like the second, like the uh, flight coming in from China. The guy was flying around at six thousand feet past, past the, past the uh, jet. And they're like, yeah, there's, there's no jetpack in existence that's going to take you six, six thousand feet unless the military is hiding something. So that's, a, that's an alien with a, <laughs> that's a little alien man, with a jetpack on. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> so let me ask you this: since yeah, I brought I up Bat Squatch, have you come across any of those stories? The Bat Squatch. Um, it's one of those things where people come up to us. Actually, the last one I remember was at the Mothman Festival. Someone came up to us and said they had a Bat Squatch story. Um, so I've I've definitely heard that when we're in West Virginia, at least a couple times. Kentucky, you know, you have people coming up and asking if if you've heard of it. But um, as far as like witness sightings of bat squatch go, I've talked to a few a few people. If that exists, I mean that would probably explain away half the Mothman sightings there are. Because you know the weird thing about the Mothman is that the the descriptions of what people are seeing do not align very often. You know, um, you one guy's seeing a feathered creature that kind of resembles a giant owl, and someone else is seeing a leathery winged you know, creature that's six feet tall as opposed to seven feet tall. Uh, the the common factor that you hear a lot is j- the red eyes. You know, other than that, uh, physically, a lot of these cases stand apart from one another. Um, in our movie, we, you know, we interviewed a, a lady who thought what she saw was like a pterodactyl. And um, we also interviewed a man who woke up in the middle of the night and found a, a four foot tall mothman in his room at the foot of his bed and and that was honestly his sighting is is one of the reasons i wanted to make the movie um less because i'm i'm friends with the guy and i i believe he's he's a you know he's a observant dude he's not out there hoaxing stuff so it's a very weird story but every like i said everything kind of gets lumped under the mothman label regardless of what people are actually seeing and um yeah, there's sightings of all sorts of weird stuff, especially Appalachia. So, so you mentioned then you're going you're um, going to do a UFO one based in like west the West Virginia area, which is right there, essentially to Point Pleasant. Yeah. So, yeah. and we've talked about the Mothman on here. I mean, there's there's got to be in my mind, and I don't know about the judge and Jason. There's got to be a direct correlation between 
like the alien UFO and the Mothman. I mean, that's just got to be all connected. Do you? Well, think during it... yeah, I mean that sixty six, sixty seven wave, all that was taking place at the same time. You had you had, you know in Point Pleasant there was this massive UFO flap that was running concurrent with the Mothman sightings that were running concurrent with the Men in Black that were showing up in the area. I don't necessarily. I think they're connected in the fact that that timeline wise they tend to overlap but i don't necessarily think they all have to be part of the same phenomenon um you had you had men in black in the area which could have been government you know people investigating sightings of ufos the ufos started prior to the the mothman i mean if you really want to track the 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 um sightings of UFOs in West Virginia, you can track that all the way back to the 40s um, when one of the first nationally reported UFO sightings actually happened in West Virginia. Um, And then in the early 50s, you've got a a series of sightings that took place all over the state of West Virginia. People were seeing these uh, flying saucer-like craft uh, that went over the state of West Virginia and then were tracked all the way down to, to Alabama. Two of the craft... Uh, actually appeared to have crashed in West Virginia. One went down on a hill opposite the Elk River and was reported by multiple people as an airplane crashing, but there was no airplane there, and what they described was a round disc-like object that that crashed into the side of this hill. Um, That same night, another object was seen uh, over the town of Flatwoods, West Virginia, landed on top of a hill. Some kids went up the hill to see what it was and ended up encountering the Flatwoods monster. Um, That wave all all it never ended like people people think there's like beginning and ends to these ufo waves but i'm finding in a lot of cases they don't stop and in in the case of west virginia those sightings started in the 50s and didn't stop until the maybe the 90s um 80s or 90s and the thing about west virginia it's a huge state i mean you guys know this um it's i mean it's massive you don't I grew up next to West Virginia. We, we, as a kid, we listened to or watched the Wheeling, West Virginia TV stations. Like if we wanted to watch TV, we watched Wheeling. And my idea of West Virginia, even traveling through it a lot as a kid, was that it was a, is a state. I didn't realize how big it was until we've really started traveling there. I mean, it takes hours to travel from one end of the state to the other if you have to do it. Um, and those, some of the, those areas are so remote and rural mm-hmm. and people back in those areas could experience something for generations and never tell a soul about it. And that's seemingly what's happened because while we were making, you know, the, the, um, the Flatwoods monster movie, we actually discovered that there were a number of sightings by local farmers and just hill folk, people living in the, in the hills back there, seeing things for, for decades, um, you know, and not just like strange lights in the sky, like craft landing behind their barn and stuff like that. Um, and they never told it, never told a soul about it. And this goes on from the from the fifties all the way up into the eighties and nineties. So what so is it when about? You're talking about the, I'm sorry. So what is it about West Virginia that is a magnet for UFOlogy? Well, I think it, it's just that it's so remote. Um, mm-hmm. the, the reason we're calling, so the, the, the West Virginia based project, the UFO project is called, uh, on the trail of UFOs, dark sky. And the reason is there's, there's more dark sky parks in West Virginia than there is anywhere else on the East coast. 
you know, it's as close as you're going to get to the skies you can find out in the southwest deserts, as you'll find on the east coast. Um, There's just, I mean, think about West Virginia. The 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 biggest city I can think of is probably Charleston, and that's not a very big city. Um, It's about like Canton, probably, isn't it? Yeah, there's there's not a lot of light pollution out there. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. No, No, there's there's almost none in certain parts of that state, and you can drive up into. There's a park called Calhoun County Park that's not far from Flatwoods, and that's like a completely under-the-radar sky-watching uh, park. And so it's probably just that people can go back into the woods there and see more than they can in other parts of the country, you know, that that maybe some of that is attributed to. But I don't know, because they also have the, such a long history of, you know, weird monster sightings besides the, the Mothman. There's... Grafton and sheep squatch is supposedly roaming around West Virginia. You've got um, the the Flatwoods monster case. Um, there was actually a second wave of Flatwoods monster case uh, sightings in the in the nineteen late nineteen seventies and early nineteen eighties, but it but it, they were Bigfoot. They uh, the local media started calling all these Bigfoot sightings uh, the Flatwoods monster return. And so it gets a little muddled because you're looking for Flatwoods monster stories from the 50s. Instead, you come across all these Bigfoot sightings around Flatwoods in the 80s. Um, and they called that the Flatwoods monster as well. Hmm. Interesting. The, um, I guess what gets you the moniker of being a monster? Hmm. What do you have to do to get what? the title of monster? As a person? (laughs) That's an easy one. I'm sitting next to one of them right now. You can figure (laughs) out later which one I'm talking about. (laughs) um, Yeah, I think think anything that people don't understand, you know, that's that's some sort of creature that they see in the woods gets dubbed a monster. In the 1800s, nothing was a monster. Occasionally, sea creatures were called sea monsters in newspaper articles, but for the most part... They didn't start using the term monster to describe this stuff until the 1960s and 70s. Um, you know, so I just think it's whatever the the media can can brand, you know, any kind of creature it doesn't understand. Obviously, I, I called the company called Small Town Monsters because we're investigating a lot of reports that come from those eras. Um, but yeah, I just think it's whatever you don't understand, you can call it a monster. <laughs> for those of for those of our national listeners and international listeners. Um, when we talk about the Minerva monster um, and things like that, and we talked about Big Head, and we talked about Charles Milk Lake monster, understand bears are not indigenous to Ohio. So, you know, West Virginia, yeah, but you say, well, you know, maybe these people saw bears and they were actually seeing a biological known creature and because of mass hysteria, their minds playing tricks on them, it's dark. Oh, what they really saw was a bear. There is nothing in Ohio that is large, bipedal, that would fit that description. Although, although this is the first time I've been in a room with the judge where the word big head has been thrown around and he hasn't pointed at me and smiled. I was going to wait till go after to make fun go, of him. But hold hey. on the wreck. But, but that's the thing about, so we talk about what is a monster. Okay, it's something that you see that you can't identify, you, you can't put a label on. 
And that brings us back to that whole, do you believe in Bigfoot? You don't believe in Bigfoot. And obviously, you know, there's, there's the old saying, you know, you know, uh, seeing is believing. And if, as a kid, I didn't believe in monsters, okay? I enjoyed monster movies, you know, I enjoyed Frankenstein, the Wolfman, the Mummy. One of my favorites, The Creature from the Black Lagoon, which, by the way, was on the other day. Mm-hmm. And when I was about 15 years old, I had a dogman experience that I saw it. It pursued me. It chased me. And that opened my eyes to believing that there are other things out there. Because the old saying is, if that's real, what else is real? And so I went from, I think, the doubting Thomas who just enjoyed monster films to saying, hey, there's there's things out there that, that we don't have, you know, we can't classify in any type of genome or anything like that. Um, and, the you know, the thing about it is some of these things don't make sense. It, it, you know, biologically, it doesn't make sense that you would have a a canine walking on two legs. They're just biologically. Or, or a bat squatch. Or a I'm bat trying squatch. to figure out is it. Is it the is it a male Bigfoot and a female moth? Is it moth woman, or is it moth man and a fe- I mean, how does that how's that working? Yeah, so I mean, it's got it's got to be I, one I, of the I, other. Yeah, to ask. I was gonna say. I, mean, I don't even. I don't want to get into sheep squatch. I, I, mean, I wasn't just, even going to comment on that one. Yeah, not not the sheep squatch. So yeah, so so there's these things out there that don't make. And if you know, if we brought in somebody who was a biologist. They would give us this look of like, look, these things just, you know, no way does this happen. But at the same time, you say to yourself, you know, nobody understands why a bumblebee can fly. You know, no one understands from a uh, physics standpoint why a bumblebee can fly. So you can't, same thing with bears. No one can understand from a kinesiology standpoint why a bear can run faster than a horse doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So you can't just say from a biological standpoint, oh, yeah, you know, this doesn't make sense, so therefore it doesn't exist. And the bears can climb trees, too. Yes, they can. But here's the thing. Uh, When you have cryptids that don't fit into the known categories that, that we're used to classifying things, we don't have this little box to put them into, well, then it scares people. That's where your monsters come in. They can't process it. Yeah, they can't process what it is, so they got to call it something else. Well, like take something, for example, the Loveland, was the Loveland Frogman? Yeah, Frogman. I mean, what is that? I mean, you had had a law enforcement officer see it. Someone who was a sworn peace officer in Ohio. Professional witness. Professional witness sees a, what, a four-foot frog walking on two legs. I I mean, how do you even classify that? You can't. What's your take oh, you on that? Oh, you dub it a frogman. Yeah, the frogman. <laughs> yeah, the frogman. So, now, I think I, I honestly think a lot of this comes down to 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 quote unquote branding, and that is, you know, like when you talk to witnesses, I I don't talk to too many witnesses who actually refer to what they saw as a monster. Um, the Flatwoods monster was dubbed that by the media. They called it the the Green Monster. They called it the Flatwoods monster. There were articles that claimed it was a Frankenstein-like beast. Uh, none of that is similar to what the witnesses actually recounted. So I think the problem is the people that are telling these stories are are sort of a, you know, it's a, it's it's dangerous when we're we're forced to go off of what the media is telling us forty years after the fact. You know, like that's why it's important to always be able to talk to the witnesses 
you know, more so than draw off of whatever author or journalist or whatever is telling us, you know, 40 years later, because mo most of these sightings with the people that recount seeing this stuff, they don't refer to what they see as a monster. They, they call it a, you know, a, a thing or I don't know. They have all sorts of terms for it, but yeah. I just, that's a, that's a point to make. Well, let me ask you this, Seth. We put a lot of people on the spot or put them in the hot seat. Mm. If you had to guess, Bigfoot, Dogman, Sheep Squatch, Mothman, all these things, mm -hmm. are these real biological creatures? Are they some sort of paranormal supernatural being? Are they aliens? Or is it mass hysteria? These things are just part of folklore and legend they're made up. Well, I think it's probably some combination of all of that. So that's I, I, the, the issue that I run into is I don't think you can neatly tie all this together. Nothing. Like, honestly, any individual topic you can't pro probably tie together in a neat way. Even Bigfoot. Um, I think it's I think it's a little bit of all of that because we ha we, we have um, <clears throat> we, we know there's folklore that does exist about a lot of this stuff that existed before sightings started happening in America. You know, so so it could be some sort of cultural um, artifact of our, you know, whatever our, our our upbringing is or heritage, cultural heritage is. And that, there's an element of that in the Mothman. Um, so I don't know. I don't have a I don't have a, a way to answer that in a in a neat way. I think I think it's a little bit of all of it. You know, I don't some of these things I think are so insane when you hear about it. That there's no way they could possibly exist. Um, you know, and it's funny that the one that I always went back to and, and said that it almost has to be something supernatural was, was the Bray Road Beast. Um, just because <clears throat> we, we spoke to witnesses and they were completely believable. So I believe that they saw something. I believe that they, they, it, I hate when people say, I believe that they think they saw something cause it, it sort of. There's an in, intonation that these people have, um, you know, that the, this poor person, I sure believe that they think they saw something like you're questioning their sanity. It's not that, but I believe that they experienced what they're claiming they experienced. It's interesting you um, say but that. But at the same time, yeah. But because you did, and, and I just actually last week watched your documentary on, on the Bray Road Beast, and my, my dog man experience very similar what i saw is very similar to the to the beast of bray road however my experience predates the beast of bray road by 10 years probably the other interesting thing is uh, my experience is on the small country road called temple road here in ohio and if you look at bray road and you look at temple road on google earth those roads are almost identical you have these stretches of country road with corn, a little spotted woods, very few houses. I mean, if you laid Bray Road next to Temple Road and you didn't tell anybody which one was which, you almost could not discern which one was which, unless you were just intimately, you know, have knowledge of, of both. So it's interesting that my experience, I saw almost identical to what the Beast of Bray Road was 10 years before the Beast of Bray Road. Mm -hmm. And I know what yeah, I saw. A, so, I mean, you can't convince me that I right. saw something I didn't see. Right. And that's what I'm saying. Like, for me to say, oh, I think you 
<laughs> I believe you think you saw what you saw. Like that's there's a there's an undertone of not actually believing you. Um, so that's not what I say. I, I I think you experienced what you experienced, but it is so crazy to think of something like that existing um, as a biological entity. And I and I understand the point about bumblebees and all that stuff. But a, as a biological entity, a creature that can walk on its hind legs the size of a wolf or whatever. Um, I, the thing that I think of is, uh, given what I know about the Beast of Bray Road specifically and the occult activity that was taking place around the, that time and, and just the history of weirdness in that state, I almost have to believe that it, it's something paranormal or supernatural rather than some sort of biological creature that's, that stayed hidden, you know, and well, what's interesting I just about... can't buy into to, to that. I don't know yeah. what it is about that that flies in the face of reality for me. That angle, and I was on the Sasquatch Chronicles with Wes Germer, and he was telling me that, you know, Dog Man, what, what, you know, Beast of Bray Road, what I saw, what people were referring to as Dog Man, has been reported all the way back to Sumerian culture. The Sumerians Mm -hmm. saw these things. Um, The Egyptians borrowed that idea and and came up with Anubis. Um, So if you're saying this has got to be some sort of supernatural creature makes sense that because Mm -hmm. from a, from a a biological standpoint, a canine, you know, walking on its hind legs, running on its hind legs, doesn't make a lot of sense. Now there are dogs that get injured in the walk on, they can do that. That's possible. But there was a, there was a dog me inside in Linda Godfrey's book in Mansfield, which we've talked about Mansfield being 20 miles away at some trailer park where multiple people saw two what looked like German shepherds, about six foot tall, walking on their hind legs, getting into trash dumpsters. And then uh, when people came out and spotted them, they, they took off running on two legs, bipedal, um, which just blows me away that, that you know, it, it doesn't make sense. The thing that I saw, it, it, it was more hunched over, rolled shoulders, like it probably uh, ambulated on four legs. Like it probably, if it was going to chase you, it was probably on four legs, but it could it could walk on two legs. That was what, from what little I saw of it was. But it... Interesting. From a supernatural... How tall was that thing? Well, it was... Or the big, cor- I mean... Well, like the, corn, the, corn was, the corn was about six foot tall because it was about... I'm 5'11", and the corn was right about the same height as me. And when it crested the corn, now keep in mind, it was hunched a little bit. And its head was right right there at about the exact same height. So it was about six foot tall. Now, if its shoulders were not, like, hunched, it, it looked like somebody with really, really poor posture. If it would straighten itself all the way to its full height, it would, may have been 6'4", six, 6'5", six, maybe. Maybe that big. Maybe not that big. What about eye shine? Did it? Did I didn't get. A, I, no, I didn't get a good. See, the, the 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 thing was, I didn't get an eye shine because if if you knew the whole story, I was trying to get away from it, and it turned it, and it was nighttime. It turned its head so there was nothing to reflect light from it. There were no cars or anything like that. So I didn't say that you know, I it didn't have red glowing eyes or anything like that. It just it it. When I saw it, the only frame of reference that I had at that time in 1985 was it looked like the Egyptian god Anubis. And, and I never once thought that I saw a werewolf because, as I've said before, my definition of werewolf is what Hollywood showed me was, you know, Lon Chaney Jr. 
with a flat face and a pair of ripped jeans and a flannel shirt. You know, so I never once thought, oh my God, I saw a werewolf. I was just blown away by what I saw, scared, never told anybody because who the hell's gonna believe that story? Um, yeah. And you know, the only time I ever saw it, never saw it since, really don't have any desire to see it again up close. <laughs> but, it, but it matches almost identical to the, you know, Bray Road Beast, because even Linda Godfrey in her book had it's had it's the chapter. one it's the one cryptid that really I hope is something supernatural. It's, it's not, not a so, real biological. I really hope it's not real, and then we can maybe like do a magic spell and get rid of it or something. Because it to me is the most it's the least uh, explainable. Well, the other thing is, there, there are people, there are people that, that kind of look at Sasquatch as a benevolent creature of the woods and a noble beast. There's no one that thinks that way about, about the dogman creature. That it is a malevolent, it'll kill you, it'll eat you, it'll, you know. I don't know anybody that's from, a, from an eyewitness standpoint that said, oh, yeah, you know, this thing seemed pretty peaceful. I could have went up and petted it. Well, I seem to agree with Seth. I, I think there's definitely something simple, supernatural to that cryptid. I really do. I mean, I think the same thing with Bigfoot, though. I mean, there's usually the orbs associated with the Bigfoot sightings and how they just disappear. I mean, I think that they're probably interdimensional creatures, and yet there's also a biological element to them that is concrete as you or I. You know, Seth, the interesting thing is I just, like I said last week, I watched your, your Beast of Bray Road documentary, and we had Linda Godfried on a couple weeks ago. And the only time I've, and I've read three of her books and I've seen her talk, I don't know how many times on, on documentaries and TV, and she, it was the only time she brought up seeing orbs associated with the dog man. That her belief is that mm-hmm. they are somehow, these orbs are connected to dog man and that there's these, there was Indian uh, mounds there and she thinks that, that, mm-hmm. that all that is connected. Yeah, she's got she's got all kind of research into that stuff. She's she's got the she has Bray Road tracked <clears throat> or traced back to to being a, a Native American hunting road, like a path they would have taken actually in the exact same path in the same way that the road is paved today. Um, and then there's like she's she's got all kind of interesting stuff relating to the roads around there and how they all connect to the same spot. The roads all run perpendicular to each other. It's really bizarre. You can be on one road and, and know that kind of right next to you over the field is Bray Road. Um, she A lot of that orb stuff, too, I think was probably cemented for her because of Lee's farm or Lee's ranch, right? Um, which is on the other side of... Bray Road and, and all the strange activity there that's happened, including orb sightings, UFO sightings, you know, Dogman, all kind of weird. I mean, that's a lot happening. of bizarre stuff to happen in one little tiny geographical location. Just like Skinwalker yeah. Ranch. So, yeah. so, so, Seth, I want to I want to ask you a little bit about your experience on Area X. Mm-hmm. Do you want to do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about what happened to you out there and, and uh, give them some background? Yeah, um, 
It's it's so this is well documented in episode five of On the Trail of Bigfoot. Um, or if you watch On the Trail of Bigfoot, the search, it's it's in that one. Um, we're going to do an even deeper dive into this because we have hours of footage. I was filming almost the entire time I was in there and we haven't released most of that footage. We're going to release a bunch of that um, when we do the small town monster squad on November 1st. Um, but yeah, so basically we were invited into area X, um, in, I want to say it was June of 2018. I've been a member of the North American wood ape conservancy for like four years now. Um, but this was the first time where they were actually willing to let me come in and film it. So I went into, uh, area X for just three days. It was, or two full days, honestly, it wasn't even a full, it was just over 48 hours that we were going to be in there. Um, and we were invited in and we, for, for those that don't know, the, the area X is a, is a fairly large section of forest that sits in the Wachita mountains. Um, uh, the North American wood ape conservancy, they go in there every year for basically like seven, eight months in a row. Um, they're in there in shifts of five, you know, five guys are in there at a time, probably four or five guys. Uh, and they're in there for large chunks of the year. Um, and they've recorded activity in there for probably a couple decades now, uh, that kind of defies explanation and flies in the face of what we normally consider Bigfoot evidence. They've kind of experienced everything there is to experience in there. And, um, so we went in there, we got in there, uh, in the afternoon or maybe not afternoon. It's probably about noon when we got in there. And, um, one of the guys, Daryl Collier, uh, he actually goes out in the woods and kind of posts up and waits for Bigfoot. They're trying to, to take a type specimen so they can prove they exist, which means that they're in, ter- in there to either kill or collect a dead Bigfoot is why they're there. Um, so Daryl was out in the woods, and we were only in there for about two hours when Daryl started radioing in that he was scoping in a Bigfoot uh, on his rifle. Uh, he did not end up getting a clear shot at the thing, so we never shot it. But over the course of the next two days, we experienced almost constant activity of one sort or another. Most of it was audible, um, you know, hearing screams in the distance, wood knocks, all that kind of stuff that I've never experienced before or since. And just constant activity. And um, on the last night, um, we were uh, preparing to leave the next morning. So we had actually gone to bed. Uh, it was about 2 a.m. I was asleep in my tent, and we heard uh, – I was just falling asleep when this happened. Um, we heard a very large rock uh, smash into the roof of this – what they call the hooch, which is like a metal outbuilding. Um, this rock smashed into the roof, and then it was followed pretty much immediately by a really loud whoop that sounded like uh, an Apache Indian in a John Wayne movie <laughs> is what I always say. Um <laughs> And it was followed by about 15 seconds of uh, gibbon-type laughter uh, that echoed all across the valley. And, uh, and then that was it. That was like the, the incident. But that one thing was, was uh, enough to move me pretty far on the, the scale of quote-unquote belief. Um, and there were other things that happened. I mean, we captured some really interesting footage of what appears to be eye shine in the woods. Um, there's all sorts of interesting things that we experienced over those couple of days, but that, that whoop and the laughter, um, 
is the thing that that really keeps me coming back. And for those that would say, oh, it's it's people or or owls. It wasn't owls. We we heard owls. We were actually listening to owls earlier in the night. And f- as far as the people goes, everyone in our group's armed. So you'd be hoaxing a fairly small group. We knew where everyone was when this was going on. Um, you'd be ho- hoaxing a, a, a very small group of heavily armed people. Um, and you would be doing it in a place where anything out in the woods with you wants to kill you. Um, you would also be doing it two and a half hours from any paved road down a mountain road that you have to have a pretty jacked up pickup truck to get down. So yeah, the, the people thing doesn't align with what we experienced yeah, either. Yeah. With the group of whose sole intention it's is to shoot and capture or kill. And, I mean, it's just like, yeah, I mean, I've heard a lot about the, the, that project and what they're trying to do. And it's like some fascinating, there's some fascinating stories from those guys. From a semantic yeah. standpoint, referring to them as wood apes, are they, do you think, one of the reasons why, in my opinion, that a large segment of the population doesn't believe in Bigfoot is because the name itself, it's just too campy. Mm-hmm. But calling something a wood ape gives it a lot more legitimacy. Yeah, I think it opens it up to to scientists to look into. But at the same time, um, I think that they call it a wood ape because because Bigfoot is uh, well, yeah, it's silly. But a, a wood ape is speaking directly to what people typically recount, you know, encountering in the woods. Um, it, I'm in the camp that if these things exist, that there's some sort of undiscovered ape, and that is is what i think uh given the the evidence that we have the behavioral characteristics that have been recounted regarding these things for centuries it doesn't seem to be a an alien or or some sort of paranormal activity to me it seems to be a a very flesh and blood creature that acts in a very specific way and has you know all the way back to the the earliest recorded sightings of them in america which date back to the 1500s well, and I and you talking about that like that Gibbon type laughter echoing through the woods, I, you know, after hearing like you know the Ron Moorhead Sierra Sound stuff, that that would just be told like that's out of a horror movie, like standing there and hearing that echo, that sinister like little laugh, and and to think that they, you know, what are they communicating to each other with that laugh? You know, because it's pretty obvious I mean, it, that they it, have. Honestly, it wasn't it. It wasn't scary though. Like, I mean, well, you go to a gibbon enclosure at a zoo, and you're going to hear him doing that laugh. That's how I knew. Oh, what it's it annoying was. as and heck. Down to Columbus Zoo. Oh, it's annoying. You're telling me out. You're telling me out in the out in the middle of nowhere, knowing that that that's echoing. But I'd be scared. For but that's why you are yeah, the filmmaker deluxe, though, because you. <laughs> I'm not trying. Yeah. Yeah, I'm you're not, trying, not scared. I'm not trying to say it wasn't. I wasn't scared. I just, in that moment, I was, I wish in hindsight, first of all, I wish in hindsight that I ever recorded it. Second of all, I wish I had run up the hill uh, because I, I really would have, I wish I had seen what was, what was doing that. Isn't that fascinating though, that, that you, to think that you would want to run towards something that. Well, the thing about it is, which seemingly dangerous. I, I'm the exact opposite. I want to run the hell out of there because it, let's just assume that it's a this a biological primate. I mean, would you run up a hill if there was two silverback gorillas up there? 
Hey, the, no, the, they'd rip you apart. The, like moral they of this, the moral of the story is, is if we go out, to, we always take Seth Breedlove because he's running to it as we run away. He's going to be taken out first and give yeah, us a Yeah, I chance. mean, if all you <laughs> have to do is watch. It was just on the other, I don't know, one of those Monsters in America, and they were talking about uh, killer chimpanzees, about how they just rip people apart, these chimpanzees. And they're, they're what, a fraction the size of a, of a wood oh, yeah. ape. I yeah. mean... If if there was a chimpanzee enclosure, would you run into that? No, no. But the thing is, <laughs> there if I you have go. a camera in my hand, I'll do almost anything. So <laughs> that's the uh, well, Seth, we know uh, your time is limited, but we wanted to uh, we want to give you a chance to let everybody know what you got coming out, how they can find it, how they can support what it is you're doing. Because uh, I mean, these are some great movies documentaries however you want to label them that you've got put out there especially okay. especially shining some light on some you know kind of obscure ohio stuff in ohio too you know so yeah um yeah we have a lot coming out man next year we're we're looking at six titles so um wow. typically it's been three per year this year we still have uh the mark of the bell witch to release this year following the mothman legacy mothman legacy comes out on tuesday next week and it's available already for pre-order on most major platforms we're on dvd and blu-ray at smalltownmonsters.com um Mark of the Bell Witch, we're still getting a distribution deal worked out, so we don't have a release date for that, but I'm hoping it's out by the end of the year. Um, it probably will not be. It'll probably be out in early next year. Uh, we are launching a members-only section of smalltownmonsters.com called the Small Town Monsters Squad, and that's like tons of live content. Um, we're taking, we're doing all these on the trail of investigation shoots this year, um, so you can go with us to Colorado, West Virginia, uh, we're going out with the Olympic project next spring, so we'll be out with them. We're going to do live content there. We're going to do some live stuff uh, basically on every shoot. Uh, that launches November 1st on smalltownmonsters.com slash members. Um, and then, yeah, there's tons. I mean, we get on the trail of UFOs Dark Sky, on the trail of UFOs Night Visitor, on the trail of Bigfoot, The Journey, which has already been filmed, on the trail of the Lake Michigan Mothman, on the trail of Bigfoot, the Discovery, and Howl of the Rougarou are all coming out next year. Oh, the Rougarou, there we go. Well, how about on the trail of the uh, ill-fated medical biller turned uh, cryptid movie maker, Deluxe? Deluxe. That would be, no, that, Deluxe. that would be, yeah. that would be LA. So, <laughs> so all in all, I think you've, you're kind of glad you made the decision that, uh, Medical billing was boring, and you wanted to kind of see what else was out there. I think everybody oh, else. Yeah. I think everybody else is glad that that's that's what happened for sure. So. Well, there is a tremendous audience out there that's thirsting for this material. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, so we highly we'll we'll get a trailer up for the Mothman Legacy on all our social media. So, leading up into uh, to the the talk with you, so they can. Cool. Check that out, and and then listen to uh, listen to you, and uh, hopefully go out there and just devour all your catalog that's available out there, and uh, be ready for the next and inspire set. people to yeah. get their cameras and head out to West Virginia, and you never know what you might catch. Oh, you ain't kidding. <laughs> well, Seth, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Uh, you are a fountain of knowledge. I mean, there's no, there's no question, and we'd certainly appreciate what you're out there doing and 
Um, and we love your work. Love your work. So keep keep it up, and you're making Ohio proud because we're you know we're not doing a very good job, but you at least <laughs> you at least have the torch. Thanks, guys. All right. Hey, thank, thank you. you. Take thank care. You. Yeah. Have a good day now. You too. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the From the Shadows podcast. Until next time, never shy away from the darkness or what may be lurking in the shadows. We are out. <laughs>